have had a great time this week in Vacation Bible School. I think I heard we had 286 kids. Does that sound about right? 287 kids. We don't miss anybody. That's right. 287 kids in Bible school, over 100 workers. What a pleasure it was after two years. It's been two years since we've had Vacation Bible School in person, so we celebrated it all week just to be able to come. Imagine in this room, 287 kids and about 100 workers. We packed the place from one side to the other. It was a rocking, rocking, raucous kind of place, but Jesus was pleased. And uh, so we continue to celebrate that. We had, uh, of course, a wonderful time talking about Jesus, learning more and more about Jesus. And William's just going to continue to entertain you throughout. That's okay. And uh, we, had, we had several children that uh, either prayed to receive Christ or had questions they're going to be following up on. So we encourage you with that. We had one come forward this morning in the first service dedicating uh, himself to Christ and as a candidate for baptism. There could be some in this service. And if, someone, if there's someone that's come to know Christ, a child that's come to know Christ, at the end of the service, I'm going to be standing down here at the front singing along with you all at our last hymn, or our last song. And as we sing, you can just come stand beside me, take my hand, and let me know that you accepted Christ as your Savior and you want everybody to know it, and I'll tell everybody. Now, that's true even if you're not a child and that has happened to you. You've come to know Christ. We'd love to know about it. love for you to make that public as well. We are in where Destination Dig is uh, our theme for Bible school. It's going to be our theme sort of for... Uh, the rest of the month of June as we talk about archaeology and the New Testament. Oh, you look so excited about it. I'm excited about it, so I hope that you find some too. And uh, so we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 23. This now is the Word of God. Immediately made the disciples get into the boat, go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. I want to tell you about something that archaeologists call the Jesus boat. In 1986, there was a great drought in, the, in Palestine. That wasn't all that long ago. But in Palestine, so much so that the Sea of Galilee, uh, the level fell to the shortest that anybody could ever remember that it had fallen. Two fishermen who fished all of their lives as well as the generations before them had fished on the Sea of Galilee. and They found part of a boat, what they thought was a boat, that was sticking out of the mud and the silt there in the part of the shore that had never been seen before. And uh, so... Uh, they were also amateur archaeologists, and so they reported it to the authorities, knew that they might have some kind of find here, so the uh, authorities sent a team of archaeologists to come. Meanwhile, it had been rumored that a boat had been found with silver and gold on it, so lots of people had flocked to the area. They had to have guards day and night to watch out for the site. Now, they had a little difficulty in order to be able to, had to figure out how to be able to get the boat out of the mud and the silt without damaging the boat and at the same time before the Sea of Galilee, before the level rose. So for 12 days and 12 nights, 
They worked around the clock in order to uh, carefully remove the boat. They wrapped it in uh, fiberglass and insulating foam and then dipped it into a wax and left it there for 12 years before it could be displayed to keep it from disintegrating. The radiocarbon dating as well as the pottery and nails that were found in the boat dates the boat to the first century used during the time of Jesus and the disciples. The different repairs and types of wood shows that the boat could have been used for several decades, maybe even a hundred years. And no evidence that this was a boat that Jesus actually was on, but it was a boat, the example of the type of boat used by fishermen and for transportation during the time of Jesus. Uh, there's a place for oars and a place for sails, and it was determined that as many as a dozen or so could fit on the boat. How conveniently for the 12 disciples. And today it's on a display in a museum in a kibbutz on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, not far from where it was found. Here's a picture of the Jesus boat today as it is displayed. This is what a 2,000-year-old boat looks like 12 days and 12 years in wax and all those uh, kind of things. Well, I want to I take you on a boat ride for the next few minutes, okay? Uh, and I want to take you... Last week we kind of went on an archaeological dig as we dug through the Scripture. So today I'm going to take you on a boat ride and ask you for you to come along. But let's not go on this boat. This may have been... Do the next picture if you would. This may have been how the... Uh, boat looked actually a little model boat you probably could buy in the gift shop it'd be okay but this may have been the kind of boat that how it looked in the first century Jesus has asked you to get into the boat we read just a moment ago verse 22 it said Jesus made the disciples get into the boat so we know that he had to, he certainly had something to do with the disciples being in the boat on that day if today for our purposes let us make getting into the boat equivalent to following Jesus faithfully now, before you get into the Jesus boat, before you decide to follow Jesus faithfully, you need to be cautioned. The story we read a moment ago in Matthew 14, it's also found in Mark chapter 6 and John chapter 6, and they give a little more detail in each one to get the full picture. But I need you to know that there are some dangers to getting on the boat, even if it looked like this rather than the other boat. But that's right, dangers to following Jesus. So here's fair warning right now. If you experience a renewed relationship with Jesus in the coming days, if our church continues to be on the mission that we believe the Lord has led us to be, there might be some changes in your life. There might be some changes that need to take place. May or may not be physical changes, but certainly some spiritual changes. And it may not be something that happens somewhere down the road. Okay, Lord, if you ask, it could be a change that the Lord is asking you that could happen today. Fair warning, change could happen today. So here's, if you've got your notes, if you've got those in front of you, if not, they'll be on the screen. Five warnings to get in the boat, to follow Jesus faithfully, unconditionally, no matter what. And the first one is this, it's a directional warning. It's a directional warning. Following Jesus, you need to have, you want to be able to have some confidence that you are heading in the direction that the Lord wants you to go or you need to be asking Him for the necessary changes. The context of this story helps us to understand the, the reason the disciples were in the storm in the first place, and the lessons that the Lord had for the disciples on that day, and the lessons that the Lord has for us today. So what were the circumstances to lead to that moment of the disciples being in the boat during the storm? There's one miracle that's on all four Gospels. It wasn't the walking on the water that we talked about today, but that we've read, but it was earlier in the chapter. It's the feeding of the 5,000. 
And after the feeding of the 5,000 men, not to mention the women and children, 12 basketfuls were left over. And we find that the, uh, Jesus became very popular that day. He was already popular, but he was at the top of his game after he fed these folks who wanted to make Jesus king. I wonder what the disciples were thinking. We're not told what the disciples were thinking, but we're told what the people thought. They certainly thought a lot of Jesus. They didn't want to let him go. They wanted to declare that he was king right then because they saw Jesus would be their meal ticket, literally. Jesus was at the top of his game in popularity, and the disciples would have loved it and would have loved maybe to hang around. But in verse 22, the first verse we read, the very first word was immediately... Jesus sent the disciples away. He knew, he knew what was in the people's hearts. And he probably knew what was in the disciples' hearts. But Jesus was not interested in being popular. Now I want you to note the obedience of the disciples. They immediately got in the boat started to go down to the other side. There Jesus was left alone with this huge crowd that was there to dismiss. Hopefully by this time they had confidence that Jesus could do that. And there was not another boat, as far as we know, that Jesus could take to the other side. But they were immediate. You might imagine the disciples would love to have hung around in the afterglow of the things that happened at that day and they wanted to stay. But they were obedient and they remained obedient. Jesus dismissed the crowd and he went up on the mountain to pray alone. Twice in verse 23, it's mentioned about the solitude that he was there alone. Boats in the middle of the sea. You know, Sea of Galilee really is a beautiful place. Some of you, I think, maybe have been there. Several years ago, I had an opportunity to go and stand on the Sea of Galilee. We were there with a group of people, and boy, people were talking about the experience they were having, what they were feeling about being on the Sea of Galilee, about some of the stories of Jesus and disciples on the sea. You know what I was thinking? I was thinking, I really would like to water ski on the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, you thought I was more spiritual than that, didn't you? But for some reason that came to my mind because it was so smooth and hardly a wave there that was taking place on the Sea of Galilee. I thought, wouldn't it be nice to be able to... In fact, in the two days that I was there, hardly saw a wave or a ripple that took place. But then suddenly there became a great wind that came down from the mountain. The storm arose and there was white caps and things were turning and it was a great storm, just like when the disciples... Okay, that didn't happen. Now, the part about the wanting to water ski did, but that really didn't happen. But I know, that it, I know that it could have happened. Even though I didn't see a storm, I know that sometimes the wind does come down from the mountains around and the sea begins to white cap. Then it becomes such that a small fishing boat like what the disciples were in becomes almost impossible to navigate. I never saw it happen, but I know it does. As I look over this uh, sea of smiling faces today, most all of you look, look awake and ready for whatever is going to happen today next and you've been excited to be here. It's hard for me to think that there could be a storm in your life or a storm that is coming, but I know still sometimes that it happens. We live in a fallen world, in particular for those who follow Jesus. Particularly for those who follow Jesus, here's the warning, it can be a dangerous place. And after mountaintops experience, there's always the fear of falling off the cliff. And many people are looking for those emotional highs or spiritual peaks, but for others it feels so much safer at the bottom of the mountain. If you have hope to experience a closeness to Jesus today or sometime in the near future, I've got to, I've got to tell you, because of the world we live in and because you're a follower of Jesus, there could be a storm that is around the corner or you could be in the midst of the storm already. Now, disciples were about three and a half miles from shore rowing against the wind. 
Why were they there? Because Jesus told them to. Now they could have given up. They could have said, let's go back. It's a lot easier. Back to the other shore. Back to where we started. But if God says that you need to row and move in a certain direction, you just need to keep going in that direction until the Lord tells you different. And you may be a Christian here today. You may be thinking, well, I keep trying to row. I keep trying to go in the direction, but just doesn't, just not sure what, why I'm doing this or what's happening. And I just need to maybe get a word from the Lord. Well, can I tell you this? Much of the Christian life is simply rowing in the direction God would have you to go. And then getting up every morning, reporting for duty because you love the Lord and you want to serve Him. Lord, I'm, I'm going to keep just seeking to follow you in the direction that you would have me to go. But still, you're, you're hoping to be able to see Jesus and you want to serve Him. And every day you watch for God's direction. And I don't want to burst your bubble, but following Jesus is not about having warm, fuzzy feelings or being high on a mountain. Now, we're like most churches. We could use a little bit more spirit from time to time. But following Jesus is about moving consistently in the direction God would have you to go. So the directional warning, if you've got your notes, there's some blanks to fill in, whether you fill them in physically or thinking about it, that's okay. Here's the directional warning. God may want you to move in a different direction or He may want you to keep on keeping on regardless of the circumstances. Ask God to give you direction. Here's another warning, what we'll call our second warning if you want to faithfully follow Jesus. And it's a sight warning. We can only see so far. Speaking of storms happening in your life, you may think nobody knows what you're going through. You may think nobody could possibly feel what you feel or know what's happening. But I cannot tell you the Lord Jesus knows. He knows what you're going through. He's felt everything that you have felt and He sees you today. Do you think the Lord Jesus knew that there was going to be a storm that night? Well, sure He did. He allowed them to go anyway and for His purposes. Have you ever heard someone say, maybe even me sometime, it's safer in a storm following God's will than it is in sunshine out of God's will? Well, that sounds like something we hear sometimes. But that might, that might not be the best theology. Because it could be that you're going through a storm and the storm you're going through that the Lord has allowed or even that the Lord puts you in. Following Jesus does not mean you're going to be physically safe. It doesn't mean that you following Jesus, you're always going to get that raise or bonus at work. Or it doesn't mean that you're always going to be healthy or wealthy. Now, spiritual safety for all those who are in Christ is for sure, because nothing can snatch us out of the hand of God. Spiritual enrichment is granted following God faithfully, storm or no storm. But we cannot judge our being in God's will on the basis of circumstances alone. Here with the disciples, they're in the center of God's will. They're in the midst of a storm. Well, you remember one another one of our boat stories. It talked about Jonah. Jonah found himself, he was not following God's will, and he was brought into the storm. He disobeyed God. Yeah, it was the disciples' obedience that brought them into the storm. The, no, the Lord knew it before it ever happened. In Mark's gospel, he tells us that while Jesus was on the mountain, he saw the disciples struggling. Jesus is on the mountain. He's on the mountain alone. What's he doing on the mountain? He's praying. Who do you think, who's he think he's praying for? I think he's praying for those disciples as well. Would it make a difference if I told you Jesus was praying in the next room? We've got a prayer room. Jesus is in there. He's praying for you right now. Would that make a difference for you? How many of you know we have a prayer room? We do have one. We have people that pray during our services for the things that are going on. Well, I'm making the argument today that Jesus is always praying for you. And we understand that we can 
trust in Him and trust that Jesus is praying on our behalf as well. The Bible tells us the Son prays to the Father. Do you hear Jesus is God? I think about these things. Jesus took on the likeness of man, and with it, He willingly took on certain limitations. And He said, His strength comes from the Father while He was in the flesh. And He humbled Himself, and for a time, so that He might be the one who would sacrifice for our sins, and that He might know all of our pains and temptations. But what we see here is a picture not only of what Jesus did then, but what Jesus is doing now. What does it say about Jesus? It said that He's at the right hand of the Father. He intercedes on our behalf. So even now we see a picture of this very thing happening. And that we know He knows your fears. He knows your worries and anxieties. He knows the things that you care about. And He's in control of every situation. So you have a sight warning and this is it. You cannot see what is ahead and sometimes not even everything happening around you, but Jesus can and He intercedes on your behalf. When the wheels are coming off and you're struggling, you might assume that you're out of God's will. You might think, God doesn't like me very much, but circumstances are not always indicator of being in or out of God's will. You must trust and obey no matter what is happening around you. Here's a third warning for those who want to faithfully follow Jesus. And it's a special appearance warning. Special appearance warning. He will make His presence known. You ever felt like God has deserted you or feelings that God may be far away? Thank goodness as Christians our idea of who God is and what He's doing is not based on our feelings but it's based on faith. Let's know what the psalmist wrote in Psalm chapter 42. He says, and I, I will put those on the screen, as the deer pants for streams of water so my soul pants for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When, where can I go? When can I go and meet with God? Verse 9 says this. It says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Even the psalmist sometimes asks that. That's the feeling, but where's the faith? Verse 11 says this. It says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. If you thirst for God, if you want to see God at work in your life, it will happen. He'll be there. In fact... He is there already. You may not always recognize Him. Jesus came walking on the water. Fourth watch of the night, English Standard Version says, at some time between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. The thing which gave them the most trouble, the storm, He was in complete control of the storm. And when they saw Jesus, and Jesus makes His special appearance, oh, well, they thought He was a ghost. And now that's what they feared most. Not the storm, it seems, any longer, but the ghost. Verse 26, these big fishermen, they were terrified. They cried out in fear because they thought they saw a ghost. Kelly and I made a reservation sometime back for a bed and breakfast in another state. I didn't know it when I made the reservation, but I found out afterwards that it was in one of the top ten haunted hotels in America. I didn't tell Kelly. I didn't tell her really till we were on our way. And I said, Kelly, you know that quaint bed and breakfast we're going to? I said, I got to tell you, it's one of the top ten haunted hotels in America. And you may not know this about my wife, but she's often a gamer. Bring on the ghost. So, you know, we always end a little adventure. And, uh, but before we go further, you need to know I only believe in one ghost. And that's Casper the Friendly Ghost. No, I only believe in the Holy Ghost, better known as the Holy Spirit. Spirit and soul of a person only go to one place or the other immediately. 
But when we arrived, the manager told us of ghost stories and guests who had heard and seen entities, and we had all kinds of things and different roles. The ghost talked about the ghosts that the hallways and the rooms. Now I have to admit to you, in that old house, they turned into bed and breakfast. I heard lots of creaks and footsteps above and footsteps outside the door, but it's funny what suggestions will do to your imagination. But we lived through it, and uh, we live here to tell you about it today. But I never saw one, but I got to tell you, we called ourselves listening and even looking. Now why is it that more people will believe in ghost stories, even the disciples, than they will believe and trust Jesus for daily living? It's because we're not looking for Jesus to make an appearance in our lives. Jesus said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. They still didn't recognize Jesus, but they did recognize His voice. So here is the special appearance warning. Are you close enough to Jesus and are you looking for Him so that you would recognize an appearance or at least recognize His voice? Now later on, Jesus would appear to them again while, they were, while in a boat and He was on shore after the resurrection. And this time, one of the disciples said, it is Jesus, I recognize him, because they were looking for him. Are you, are you following this? If you're not looking for Jesus to make an appearance, if you're not expecting Jesus to come through, you might miss him. And he's already there. In fact, I'm going to make an argument today. He's already here. Granted, he may make an appearance in an unusual way, in unusual places, in unexpected places, but... Walking on the water is hardly the usual. And, and, oh, and I want you to see this because there's one appearance guaranteed not to miss. See it in this story because for we can see a picture of the second coming as we roll through the storms of life just at the right time. We know that He's coming for us to meet Him in the clouds and take us home. We may get tired of rowing sometimes in this life, but row till He comes. Got a fourth direction, a fourth warning. If you want to faithfully follow Jesus, it's a step of faith warning. Following Jesus will lead you to the next step of faith, always. In fact, if you recognize and experience Jesus today or any time in the near future, He will ask you to take the next step, whatever that may be. Guaranteed. If you're seeking to faithfully follow Jesus, He's, you're, he's going to ask you to take that next step. Peter took the next step. When he said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you to walk on the water. Jesus said, come. Lord, if this step of faith is what you're asking me to do, command me, allow me, give me direction, and let me come. Peter often gets criticized for taking his eyes off of Jesus. But he's the only disciple in the boat willing to get out of the boat. The Bible doesn't tell us what the other disciples did or what they felt, but we could just imagine, Peter, you go right ahead. I'm comfortable as I can be in this storm sitting right here. It may be that the Lord's asking us to get out of our comfortable pews, get out away from that so-called comfort zone. And if the Lord says, come, we step out of the boat in faith with our eyes on Him. It seems to be a traditional understanding of this passage that if we take our eyes off of Jesus, we will sink. And if we keep our eyes on Jesus, we will stand. And certainly we need to keep our eyes on Jesus always. But I don't, want you to I don't want you to miss the significance of this passage. Because in the storm, out of the storm, 
during mountaintop experience, going through difficult valleys, walking on water, feeling like we're sinking. He's got this. He's got you. He holds on if you're a child of God no matter what. Here's a question for you. When Peter walked on the water, who made that possible? Jesus did. Was it, uh, was it Peter's eyes that made it possible? No, it was not. Here's maybe a harder question. Was it Peter's faith that made it possible? Peter's faith got him off the boat, but Jesus held him up. One more question. Who raised Peter up when he began to sink and kept his head above water, kept him from drowning, put him back in the boat? That's a no-brainer. Jesus. Are you getting this? Jesus had Peter when he walked on water, even when he was about to sink. Verse 31, we read a moment ago. He said, you of little faith, not you of no faith, but you of little faith, why do you doubt? We doubt sometimes because we put too much emphasis on our own abilities and maybe even our own faith and not so much on Jesus. This makes me think that we talk about living with confidence, what we're really talking about living with self-confidence, and sometimes even as believers putting confidence and faith in ourselves rather than God. For instance, if all you get from this passage is that to make it, you need to keep your eyes on Jesus and not on the storms, that might be a form of self-confidence and not confidence in God. I'm not sure you're getting this. And it could be because in our culture in America, when we think about the culture that this was first written to in many cultures around the world today that are not so much self-absorbed, pull yourself up by your own bootstrap, they probably get it right away. But we might have a little bit harder time. So I want you to be able to get this. Think about this. In summertime, you take your little child out that hadn't learned to swim. He's two foot nothing. Daddy's in the shallow end holding on. And the baby, you know, the child's hanging on to the daddy. And he's thinking, you know, dad's got me. But dad's you like to aggravate. So you get a little, you start to go out to the deep end. You say, I'm getting deeper. I'm getting deeper. And they start to scream and they're hollering. They're clawing and they're hanging on to your neck as if anything has changed. But truth be known, whether you're in the shallow end or the deep end, you drop that child, that child's going to sink. Truth be known, even when we think we got this, even when we have confidence in ourselves versus when we really need God, we know that Jesus is the one. Even when you think you got this, it's really Jesus. If you want to replace self-confidence with confidence in the living God, so when He calls you to step out of the boat, it's not just about will you keep your eyes on Jesus, will you doubt, will you be able to handle it, He's got this. If you got faith, little or big, why would you doubt? Even in the shallow end, when you thought you were handling everything on your own, you still couldn't do it without Him. You might as well step out on faith. Let Him take you a little bit deeper because He is the one holding on to you when you thought you were in the shallow end. He's got you either way. Are you getting this? One more warning we have from this passage. If you want to faithfully follow Jesus unconditionally, and that's the everlasting warning or everlasting promise. If you're a child of God, on the day that you became a Christian, He saved you once and for all time. It's an everlasting promise. Every day we experience His salvation as we live by faith. When we fall, He's there to pick us up. When we take our eyes off Him and begin to sink, which is exactly what happens when we cry out, Lord, save me, He's there. The testimony of the disciples was very clear when they got back into the boat. Never seen anything like this before. What does it say they did and what did they say? It says they did. They worshipped Him. What did they say? Truly you are the Son of God. 
It's the very first time that they declared Jesus as the Son of God. Let me be clear that every time that we worship together the Lord Jesus, we want to give clear testimony to one another and to the community. Truly, He is the Son of God. He's present in this place. He's present in our hearts. And He can bring peace in the midst of the storm. Are you encouraged as you worship with Him today? Be encouraged as you worship alone and have your quiet times. Be encouraged as your worship leads to serving Him in your home and in your workplace and in the classroom and wherever you find yourself and let your testimony be clear. In verse 27, when they first saw Jesus, and Jesus said, Take courage, it is I. I know just enough Greek to know that this is the New Testament Greek equivalent to the Old Testament Hebrew name that Moses was told was the name of God. So when he told the disciples, it is I, he was declaring, it is, I am who I am. He said, take courage because I am Yahweh, Jehovah God. Is your testimony clear today in your life that you know Jesus? And is it Him you worship and only Him that you put your faith? Or are you sending out a mixed message and unclear to those around you? Today, decide that you want it to be clear whom you have believed. And here's a verse. It's in your notes and the verse we've used a lot, I feel like, in the last year and a half. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that me that you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Are you ready to get into the Jesus boat? Are you ready to faithfully follow Jesus unconditionally? It will be a great adventure. It may not always be safe, but there's no greater place to be than be spiritually safe with the Lord Jesus. Are you ready to step out of that boat, <laughs> which would be equivalent to greater steps of faithfulness, and follow wherever the Lord wants to leave next? If you need to follow Jesus for the very first time in Bible school, we use the, we seem like we always use the ABCs of salvation. A, admit that you have a need for Jesus. Admit your sins, confess your sins before Him. B, believe that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross, that He is the Son of God. He rose again in order that you might be able to have life. And C, you want to call upon Jesus and confess your faith so that you might be able to have Christ in your heart, not just something that you know, but that you might begin that relationship with Him. I want to encourage you, if you're here today, if you're listening live stream today, if you've not, made, if you've not started that relationship with Jesus, that today... You call upon Him. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank You for this day, opportunity to be able to come and worship You. We thank You for the children's voices. We thank You for the voices of the congregation, our baptism, parent-child dedication, prayers lifted, reading, proclamation of Your Word. We pray that You've been the center of all of it. And we pray now, Father, and we thank You for what Christ has provided so that we might be able to faithfully follow Christ. Father, help us to follow you without conditions, whatever it is that you ask us to do. And help our testimony and the message be clear to all those who know us and all those we come in contact with that truly we believe Jesus is the Son of God. We worship Him and Him only. And we pray, Father, if there's someone listening today or someone here today that does not know Jesus as Savior and Lord, we pray that today might be the day of salvation. It's in Christ's name we lift these prayers. Amen.